Right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Me, Myself and Hopefully You podcast. I'm your host, Tariq, a 19-year-old university student currently experiencing a midlife crisis as he has no idea what he wants to do with his life. So rather than see a career advisor or a therapist, I decided to start a podcast where I invite guests from an array of backgrounds to tell me their story. And whilst finding out about them, hopefully I can find out more about myself too. So if you can relate, or maybe you just want to see where I end up, join me every Sunday right here. Ladies and gentlemen, this week I sit with Ian Skinner, who uh, tells me more about his experiences working in real estate and property management, what that's like. Um, and the different roles within real estate. And then we also go on a bit of a tangent and talk about Brexit and property market um, and just anything and everything, really, politics in general. Um, and it was an amazing chat. Uh, a very short introduction, a very short podcast overall. Um, but I really do hope you enjoy it. It's definitely one for those who maybe want to enter uh, property management or politics um, or don't know whether they want to enter that sort of industry um, or people that just want to know more well want to learn about two people bickering about brexit um yeah i do hope you enjoy it um and so without further ado mr ian skinner find my business and um it was more the uncertainty around brexit and the election the year before that um hit my turnover but you know we've had a really busy um summer and um winter and then busy again in the spring so yeah it's been right. a good year so it's been all right yeah even with, with covid as well yeah fair enough yeah, I yeah. Mean, that, um, uh, doing a lot of valuation what's that sorry yeah no it's, it's been all right but a lot of valuation work it's been it's been all right um and working from home hasn't made any difference as i set up the home office which is what you can see the roof of in the picture um about four years ago so you know, i've just continued to walk down the garden to the office which beats a commute all right so you've always been working from home then well for the last four years anyway all right for some so you... reason my go on i know i was just saying uh, so you're you you're you've just been going as normal haven't you for the last year or so i guess well as normal as you yeah can yeah the as normal as can be um it does i'm sure everyone else finds it as well but you know meeting up with either prospective clients or old colleagues or um just generally networking over a coffee um i miss that a lot because you know if you're working from home you're getting yourself motivated and um plowing on with a job and the odd phone call but it's not the same as meeting up with people a couple of times a week for just the general catch up and sometimes work comes out of it and sometimes it doesn't but it definitely raises your spirit yeah I, I definitely miss that about sort of being in a, in a classroom I just miss the fact miss like going into a classroom and you know everyone you've you've, you've been with, you've been in the same class for six months and so you know what everyone's into and if there's someone that's into football you can have a chat about the football on the weekend or whatever and there's just I've just I just miss that small talk yeah just have before well I went I work I, I had to do charities act valuation for um one of the larger charities in the area and i went to their head office and um that was what i was valuing and it was bizarre because i had the whole office to myself there was one other lady there um and then halfway through the day this other lady came in 
and she'd been on a year's work experience with it's the wildlife trust and um it was the first time they'd met and she'd been in there a year and they'd sort of spoken on the phone and things but it's the first time they met and then it was um she was off so that was quite weird really so oh. she spent a whole year out um by herself hardly well not by herself probably meeting a few of the rangers but hardly meeting any of the staff which is quite a shame yeah no i bet yeah i mean i mean like i said with uni as well I mean, that's one of the reasons why i started the podcast is um i just feel like i I haven't at least not in first year had the chance to properly meet you know different people that's one of the reasons why i came i just wanted to meet people from loads of different backgrounds and network and learn to network and just um yeah yeah, just and proper have the university experience and and, um i think i I decided one day that i was like you know i'm not gonna feel sorry for myself we're in this situation i can't help it so i need to do something about it are you on campus yeah yeah i'm on campus yeah Yeah. So yeah, that must be quite bizarre, isn't it? Because presumably the bars up until now have been closed down and not many people are out, is it? Oh, there's not. I mean, to be fair, um, as we sort of as restrictions are starting to ease a bit more, there are a lot more people coming in, even though like uh uh the government announced that I think it's like something like May the 15th that they want to open everything back up, but by then everyone's um exams or whatever are finished anyway. So I think people are just coming yeah. the last month or so um, to have a bit of a uni experience before the summer and then hopefully next year it gets a bit better. Start off again. Yeah. Um, so how have your podcast, how many podcasts have you done so far? Because I sort of see them periodically. Yeah, well, so I try, I, I, I upload a podcast a week. Um, I've been doing it pretty much every week since the 14th of December, I think. And then I think I had a, a two-week break in between. Um, so I think I've got... Uh, 20 odd episodes i can't have I, I don't know what the total number is um but they've been right I, I really enjoy doing them they're fun to to do and i get to have a chat with someone that i haven't met yet or someone that i haven't spoken to in a long time um and they usually recommend yeah. other people and, and some of the some of the people that have that have um been willing to come on and has just been i mean it's been incredible some of the you know, see, former senior vice president of wall street um an ex-hollywood model uh, model and nfl cheerleader Someone that um, uh, they, they completed five half marathons with a heart condition. Um, oh wow! Just, yeah, so like some some amazing stories that I, I wouldn't have heard of if I if I didn't have the podcast. Um, and yeah, I'm humbled in that capacity. <laughs> no, well, I mean, it's the one of the reasons why again that I started the podcast is is um, I, I always feel, and I mentioned this I think in in the in the previous podcast or or something like that. I, um, I always feel like the big stories always get huge recognition. So, for example, someone that is 50 stones and and, lo- and goes all the way down to 15 stones, you know, they get the big stories. Everyone talks about it. It's like, wow, it's incredible. And, you know, they should get it because it's an incredible story. But I want to get the people on that, you know, I've gone from 50 stones to 45 stones. They've changed their world by making little differences. And these are the sort of stories. Yeah. That I, mean. um, I think those are the stories. Frozen, that, Tarek. I'm um, frozen. I mean, you're, you're still moving. I think. Oh, I don't know why. Can you hear me still? Yeah, I can hear you now. You're frozen completely then. All right. I'm not sure. Is it your end or mine? I've not a clue because you're still moving. All oh, right. I don't know. Sometimes. Uh, let me. Just. Is it just Zoom? 
It might just be Zoom. I'm not. Anyway, sometimes, yeah, yeah, sometimes I problem. But yeah, so like, I want to hear those sort of stories, the stories that sort of go unnoticed. Um, uh, and so, some of them are, are big stories. Some of them other people have heard of. Um, but some of them, like, no one's heard of. And I don't know, it's, it's a bit of fun as well. So, you know, getting someone yeah, like yeah. yourself, someone that's completely different to, you know, other guests that I've had on. Um, you know, I want to hear more about how you feel like COVID, the pandemic, and even Brexit as well, without getting too political, mm-hmm. um, how it's impacted <laughs> the property industry. Um, I mean, yeah. that that is something I struggle with, um, not, with uh, not getting too political. Um, but uh, yeah, like as in just have a conversation about that. And just essentially, it's, it's you know, hopefully someone that uh, wants to get into property can listen and go, oh yeah, that seems interesting. Oh yeah, whatever. Um, and, and just have a chat about you. Maybe maybe people in your network want to get to know you a bit more. Um, and this could be an opportunity for them to uh, hear more about you and, and hear more about Ian Skinner. Oh, dear. I think it's mm-hmm. quite interesting how I got into property, though, because I had no idea um, what I wanted to do when I um, was leaving. Well, when I was doing A-levels, really, um, and was failing a business because I was working... Um, to get money to go out and nowhere in that fitted a levels um so i ended up going to a careers advisor and basically said i want i don't want to be stuck indoors um mm. but i don't want to be on the back end of a pick thank you very much and um she came up with cartography or surveying estate management um and I looked at cartography and thought that looks really dull. And I've done a bit of land surveying in um, my course and it really isn't for me. There are many good land surveyors out there, but I wouldn't be one of them. Um, and then looked at estate management and went to see a local um, firm of estate agents and surveyors, which are now Henry Adams and Partners. Um, Henry Adams is no longer with us, but he, was kind enough to give me an hour of his time and I walked out there thinking now I know what I want to do and I got through my A-levels got some experience um, in on some farms for that year and then went off to do an HND at East London Polytechnic in urban estate management and then went on to Harper Adams and was the first year through their degree in rural estate management um, and not look back since really it's been a really diverse career um doing everything from valuations to managing the mod estate managing the forestry commission estate um becoming a planning specialist up in your part of the world up in yorkshire and then had the opportunity about five years ago to set up my own business um and i specialize in the three areas that i've specialized in over my career so there's compulsory purchase work comes in some planning work comes in and quite a lot of valuation work um and it's just been it's just taken me to places that you wouldn't ever get to go to unless you were a surveyor or working on on a rural estate so you know being able to drive across Salisbury Plain or um Lulworth Cove uh, have all been some amazing experiences so that's why I got into it and probably why I've stayed in it because I haven't got an awful, awfully long attention span, um, but there's something different every single day. Um, next week, I'm going out to look at um, 
a flat in a development north Midhurst. And this week I was out in a woodland in the Isle of Wight. So yeah, no, it's been been great so far. Just up and down the country then, isn't it? Up and down. Yeah, the no, I've yeah, been yeah. yeah, I've I've worked all the way from the Scottish borders. So I used to provide estate management advice on um the MOD site at Spade Adam, which is right on the Scottish border. Um, and then all the way down to how far southwest have I got? Down to Bovington and Lulworth, I suppose, with the Forestry Commission and manage the estate from Oxford down to the Isle of Wight and across to Kent. So I provide the estate management advice to the team in Southeast England. Um, and there've been some really, really interesting characters along the way too. What, what would you say the best place that you've been to? Oh. Work-wise, um, I always enjoyed working out of London, but the coming from the south of England and going up to... Because you're... Where are you? Are you Sheffield, Tarek? Oh, I'm, I'm Lancashire. Lancashire. Oh, sorry. Other side of the border. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. So I got to see some of, if we're talking Lancashire, so I won't talk too much about Yorkshire because you'll get upset. Yeah, um, I was upset by first when, uh, when you first said that part of my, I was like, that's not mine, but I let him off. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry about that. Um, so, yeah, I spent a year valuing um, effectively social housing, but it wasn't formal social housing. There was a charity that owned a lot of, we say around the major cities in the north of England spent a year well yeah it was a year you got um, off there spending two weeks on the road up there and yeah, sorry uh, you, am i all right now yeah you cut off at um at the charity owned a lot of yeah the charity owned a lot of um social housing although it wasn't formally social housing so it was back to backs in the places like Manchester and Leeds and Rotherham and um, going and seeing those where there was one house that this street that was over in Rotherham um, at the time this is back in the when was it late 90s late 1990s well that makes me feel old um, but even then there was a house there that still had a toilet in the out in the backyard and a tin bath was down in the cellar um and that road you could buy any house there for three thousand pounds now i'm old but i'm not that old and it wasn't you know you could buy that on a credit card then had all the local facilities drugs prostitution crime <laughs> local services but yeah no it was quite an eye-opener um going from there and traveling up and down every week to to inspect properties but a really good training on property defects as well because you saw some excellent dry rot and some really grim damp um i learned to wear chinos on inspections because then you pick the fleas off of your chinos as you walk through <laughs> um, I but yeah no it was interesting i forgot about them <laughs> if you're doing inspections they're really useful because you can they're light colored and you can see the muck um but yeah no it's funny huh. so uh, yeah from doing that to then move then moving into the MOD and the question I got asked at the interview for the MOD was if a 
aircraft, if a jet fighter crashes, what would you do? <laughs> Which is quite a bizarre question for an interview. Um, and I ended up providing advice to a number of small bases around um, Dorset and South Wiltshire. So the likes of Bovington Tank Training Area and Lulworth Tank Firing Range, um, Westmore's Fuel Depot. So yeah, no, that was that was interesting. Did a lot of pure agricultural rent reviews, um, some valuation work, some planning work for a new barracks. Um, it was a really good grounding in um, a number of estate management tasks, I suppose. So, so have you so um, obviously you've said that you you've, you've worked in sort of different areas of the country so are you can't have you constantly been moving as in in terms of where you live as well are you driving up to most of these places no we've moved about a bit so um originally come from sussex um lived in wiltshire for 10 years which is where i worked i commuted into london and then worked for the mod and then commuted back down this way, actually, to work for the Forestry Commissioner, Alice Holt. Um, and then we moved up to the Yorkshire Dales for four years. Um, worked for First Auction Mart, which was a nightmare. Um, worked for the MOD up there and then worked for a chorus doing a lot of their planning work. Um, acting as a business manager as well, so bringing in and winning work for them. And then we had our son, so we wanted to move back south towards family. Um, and my old job at the Forestry Commission came up, so I did another stint there. Um, and then when I left the Forestry Commission, I did a couple of years with Surrey County Council, which took us through to about 2016. And I set up Skinner Holden Property Advisors. Um, in order to set up Skinner Holden, I needed to have a part-time job. So I did some contracting with the Environment Agency for about six months until I got to the stage where I was doing three days a week for them and four days a week for me. Um, and thought, well, if I can fill my time four days a week, then actually I can go full-time. So that's when the beginning of 2017, when I went full-time with Skinner Holden Property Advisors. Um, bringing in work through a network of contacts and advertising both in the RICS and across the internet really. It's interesting how things have changed because I've tried print advertising a couple of times and nothing's come of it um, but good old Google and RICS and old-fashioned networking and meeting people and delivering a good service and getting that service coming back. Why would you say, why, why do you think it's, it's not never really worked? Well, the print advertising. Yeah. I just, I don't know, really. I think times have changed. So, you know, people think that maybe older people are less um, using the internet less and, and reading papers, but I just don't think that's the case. I think virtually everyone is, is on the internet. And if you want to find a surveyor in... Um, in Midhurst or in Sussex or a specialist in valuations, then you could go straight to Google or one of the other search engines, don't you? Well, yeah, exactly. So I do put everything on there. You know, I do, I use um, LinkedIn, as you've probably seen fairly often, um, and try to keep that as a professional estates, generally estates related articles that I'll post on there or comments or 
what I've been doing, um, keeping it related to, to professional work um, with a large network on there. And I've had some really good instructions come from there. In fact, some of my best clients have come from LinkedIn or often a, a mix of LinkedIn and um, a mix of LinkedIn and knowing them before. So it just keeps them reminded that I'm about. Um, and then the direct approaches from solicitors have often come from the RICS website. Um, so yeah, no, it's been, it's been good so far. I get, I'm either too busy with work or I'm either too busy and worrying about getting the work done or worrying about getting the work in but it seems to get there in the end. It's a bit like the theatre. It'll be all right on the night. Well, why do you, you, you mentioned um, earlier about how uh, you don't feel like uh, COVID has sort of had an impact on, on your work. Um, obviously, I understand, you know, you've been working from home for, um, uh, for four years, so you're used to that. Yeah. So in, in terms of sort of like going and seeing properties, did it not hinder any, uh, something like that? um only for residential properties so it's actually been easier with some of the commercial properties because they've been empty mm. and then with um residential i offer and i do make sure i've got a mask on make sure my hands of there's some sanitizer in the car so they're always sanitized um, I have used gloves a couple of times, but I think actually it's better to sanitise hands when you go in and come out um, and just keep the distance from people. I did have one client who insisted on um, on following me around, which was sort of a bit frustrating. Um, but yeah, so long as people don't mind me there and they stay out of my way and I try and stay away from them, it's been OK so far. I think I've had one, I've done one probate valuation for COVID and um, that was several weeks after the person had sadly died away, died. So that was perfectly safe too. So yeah, from the inspection point of view, it's just a case of being careful um, and staying away from people as we do, you know, keeping social distancing. Mm. Um, but life goes on. So a lot of valuations for divorce and for tax purposes and inheritance tax purposes and capital gains tax and those sorts of things keep coming through the door. So keep providing the service. Um, but the year before COVID was a lot harder. So the autumn of 2019, um, when if you recall back, no matter what your views on Brexit are, and we, as you said, we shan't get political. It caused so much uncertainty um, in that period where Theresa May wasn't quite sure what she is doing. And then there was the election and then Boris came in and no one quite knew, well, everyone knew what he wanted to do, but what the effects were. Um, that six month period was really quite hard for me. And it was just keeping, you know, keeping on, keeping on. Um, and making sure we could get through that time cash flow wise, as well as just keeping the profile there and um, keeping the faith that the work would come back. Sometimes that was harder than others, but it did. Um, and this year has 
seeing has gone back to growth again. So yeah, no, it's good. Is that I, I um when when I say that um I know earlier I said uh, try not to get too political. Essentially, what I mean by that is try not to bash one side or the other without giving uh, the, uh, the other perspective. You can get as political as you want, Ian. I'm, I'm on, you can say whatever you want. Um, you don't you don't want me starting on you don't want me starting on Brexit. It'll oh go no, on I do, I do, I do. Because, be, and be, there will only be one side of the argument. <laughs> no, I do because um I mean listen even if it is one side of the argument. Um, that's it's your is this is you know a podcast with you. You can talk about whatever you want. These are your views, um, but um, and I'm 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 assuming. Uh, well, I have an assumption as to what which side you're on. Um, but you said it yourself there. That sure, what's your assumption? What's your assumption? I'm a, I'm assuming uh, that you uh, wanted us to remain in the EU. Yeah, I did. It was yeah. quite interesting. I was, I was doing a. Um, a woodland walk with a um, senior manager of a or director of an organisation that I've worked with, and um, much to my surprise, when I, he said, "I expect I know what side you're on," and he thought I was a Brexiteer, um, which I was quite shocked at because I'm vehemently not. Um, we shall see, but no, I think that's. I think it's to stay sane. You just need a decent dose of pragmatism and humor at the moment mm. um and we shall see what happens within the next couple of years um hopefully i'll be proved wrong but at the moment it's not looking good what, what although you the you know you want to take back sorry go on. no no carry on i think i feel like you're gonna say what i, you, what I was about to say yeah you you want to take it back to um how that affects the property market and I'm glad I'm not an agent in London, but outside of London, we've for residential property, well, there are so many segments at the moment doing so many different things. So for residential property, when we, as, as I said before, I was carrying on doing valuations through the start of the pandemic. And I think my first inspection after lockdown was literally a week or two after we were allowed to go out and do work. Um, and the RICS allowed us to put caveats on our reports, basically saying none of us have lived through a pandemic before or value property during a pandemic. Um, this is what we believe, but the um, comparable evidence is really hard to find at the moment. So we reserve the right to review. And at the time I took, I'd looked at all the comparables, did the valuation as normally did, and then just thought about what might be happening at that point because remember all the estate agents were closed at the time um, and I took 10% off of the valuation for uncertainty and risk um, and was proved completely wrong because the market as soon as it opened up started heading up and we've had um, in some areas an over 10% increase in values um, over the lockdown period and so yes revisited those valuations and and corrected them as the market has shown and now we don't use that caveat we just explained that things are unusual but the market seems to be working normally at the moment and using comparable evidence so that's the residential or the the rural or outer fringes of southeast england um, industrial markets have moved forward strongly 
storage and distribution are obviously doing really well because the likes of Google and mail order, not Google, sorry, um, Amazon um, and other mail order companies are doing so well in lockdown. And I think that's produced a, it's accelerated a trend that was going on within shopping and that's reflected in the property market. Um, the flip side of that is the high street and valuing retail at the moment is going, getting comparables for it. It's next to impossible. But also you look at the likes of Chichester or Guildford. I was shocked when I walked through Guildford um, a couple of months back for the first time in a long time. And that was one of the most resilient high streets in the country. And even Guildford has got any number of vacant shops there. Chichester is doing really badly. Um, but interestingly, Midhurst, which is a small market town, serves the local population in a five mile radius. Um, that's got very few empty shops. Everyone moans about the charity shops and the coffee shops, but they're there and they're trading. Coffee shops are struggling at the moment, but they're trading and providing employment, providing somewhere for people to go and a use for the building. So you can't knock that. Um, and then there's some weird and wonderful uses out there because you're getting this fluctuation in the property markets. Um, it gives opportunities for entrepreneurs to come up with new ideas, trying new ideas because rents have been reduced or significant um, <clears throat> rent free periods are being negotiated. And I saw not far from you, up near Manchester actually, my son is 12 and has got into his downhill and mountain biking. And there's an indoor, well, it's not a pump track, it's an indoor mountain bike track, jump circuit um, up near Manchester. Oh, I can't remember what it's called now. But that's just showing that, you know, people are, are seeing these big empty units and just wondering what to do. So it's, it's what happens to the high street. The easy answer will be some flats, but then people aren't looking to be living in flats in the city at the moment because like you staring at four walls is really quite difficult and they prefer a garden um so all going to flats probably isn't the answer so there will be some opportunities going forward for people trying to create new businesses sorry well, i've stopped again no I've lost, stopped what? My... what was that sorry i say i've stopped again that's the end of my flow on that no 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 it's fine i've is, stopped uh... again that's the end of my flow on that one no, it's fine. Um, because there's there's a lot there. I think the, the first thing I sort of um, want to say is is I understand obviously with the high street it's not it's not looking good and it hasn't looked good for a long time now even before the pandemic before Brexit we no. thought we were seeing this trend um, and you know with the rise of Amazon and and the uh, online retailers and what have you um, it was looking like it was in a decline but everything else you were saying it seems like a bit of a positive here you're seeing these big sort of uh, commercial um, yeah. properties being used uh, you're seeing uh, you said it yourself that uh, the market's slowly going back to normal and so you can't use that the caveat anymore um and it seems like mm. um and i don't know what you think it seems like brexit isn't having the negative impact that everyone's saying it because if we're doing this well in a pandemic as well economically i understand obviously with uh, when it comes to deaths etc or not uh, but economically, it seems like we're doing a lot, um, a lot better than a, a Remainer would have would have been saying a few years ago. 
because by this time I thought it was going to be the end of the world. I thought six months, the way the Remainers were talking about it, six months after we'd, le- we'd leave, it was going to be the end of the world. And I'm still, I'm still yet to see the end of the world. And hopefully I never do. I don't think it, I don't think it'll be the end of the world, but I think there will be a shock at some stage. I mean, you know, who would have thought last year that we would be threatening to send warships to Jersey to protect them from the French fishermen? Um, the pandemic has just, because none of us have lived through anything since the 20, since 1919, so none of our generation, none of our even grandparents' generation um, would remember the pandemic of 1919. Um, and we didn't have the type of economy that we've got now none of us can really predict how it's going to impact in the short and medium term and i think it will hide is that the right word cause a lot more noise if you like around the economy so that we won't be able to pinpoint as to whether that issue is because of brexit or it's because of the pandemic or other issues so Brexit will be having a significant effect. Um, I think even the most positive of economists say that there's going to be a lull. And that's the bit that concerns me because with both Brexit and the pandemic, property prices are going up, but how long that will last, we will see. Um, if the number of jobs that people are saying are being lost are actually being lost, um, it won't. It won't be that long before that's reflected in the property market, and forced um, forced sales start to come through, and then you end up with a late eighties and late nineties um, property depression again. So we'll see what happens. Um, yeah, it's really tough to call at the moment, but property at the moment is doing really well. Even London has flattened out. Um, rather than dropping precipitously. Um, but it's a much easier to be selling a house in the country down here than it is a flat in Hammersmith or somewhere. Tarek. Of course it is, Ian. Well, I mean, I, 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 was, I was giving you compliments left, right and centre. You could, you could have at least given me one there. That was a perfect opportunity. Um, but um, again, even more to digest there, and, and I'm actually enjoying this because of the fact that you're giving me so much sort of to work with um i i remember when i first started the podcast actually i remember saying um when when i didn't know what the podcast was going to be about um and i was just basically talking about what was whatever was on the news it was about around, around december time and i was saying one of the most frustrating things about this pandemic is going to be i don't think we'll ever truly find out um whether brexit was good or bad we've spent so many years um debating it and arguing about it but because of the pandemic you'll have remainers who go it was Brexit, but you'll have leavers go, well, it's the pandemic, that's why. So we'll never actually get an objective answer. And it's the most yeah. frustrating thing as someone that's been into politics since this break, well, since the referendum at the very least. It's like, we've talked about this for so long and we're never even going to get an answer. At least I don't feel like we will because what we always blame something else. I think economics is so, there are so many factors. It's like the weather, isn't it? I mean, does a butterfly, you know, taking off in brazil cause a hurricane in southeast england um and you just don't know what other factors affect affect it and going back to some of the earlier 
property crashes. Um, the late 80s was triggered by, I think it was double tax relief or something came off. Um, and that cut back people's ability to get mortgages and that caused a collapse in the, in the market. Um, the one for obviously the late 20 or 2000s um, was the banking crisis, but then that had been caused by um, deregulation of the bank, so say. And all of these big economic issues are usually caused by a number of factors happening at a similar time. Um, and it's, it's also interesting that our government, or any government, you know, it doesn't matter what colour they are, they um, end up, they try to claim that they've caused the, the great economy over X number of years or the previous guys caused the bust. But actually those are economic cycles are very similar around the world and quite linked. Mm. So how much, you know, a change in interest rates or a change in um, taxation regime, because all of our governments tweak now rather than we haven't got a Clement Attlee government or a Margaret Thatcher government that are really um, right wing causing right. huge changes. Yeah, but, but it, yeah, so they're all doing minor changes. Even Corbyn wasn't looking at doing huge changes no matter what your thoughts are on him. Um, and Boris now, he's not doing huge changes. So they're all sort of tweaking the machine rather than um, causing a revolution within the machine. So it's those external factors and it's things like Brexit and things like the pandemic and things like what's happening in Russia and China um, that affect our economy and I put a post on, we were talking about LinkedIn earlier on, I put a post on there yesterday because one of the big former, it was Army and Navy, which is part of House of Fraser, has been empty for a long time and it's just been bought. People are slightly concerned as to who's buying it and what it's going to be. And one person put on there that, that they were concerned that it, why are all the foreigners buying our property? And the reason lots of foreigners are buying our property is because Britain has um, is one of the safest places to invest because we have got a stable government um, and stable land structures um, and our property has been shown that it gives a good return over, over the long period. Um, so probably we should be flattered that foreigners want to invest here. Um, they raise the money laundering issues and that's a completely different issue and one that government and I mean even my little firm here I have to do money laundering checks on clients to make sure they're not laundering money even for my fees so um, I have to check with uh, see a copy of their passport and ID so yeah um, I don't know and I don't think anyone else does I always find economists you can find economists with opposing views and it's a bit like witchcraft really it is, it is. It's always interesting to see. Um, and, uh, um, uh, and this hopefully the last bit on sort of Brexit um, with with what sort of you, the same economists that were saying that the the uh, economy would crash if we if we don't enter the uh, or go into the euro or, or also uh, saying that the economy would crash after Brexit. So 
I mean, I'm not saying that they they're they're always wrong. I'm not saying that they're always right, but um something like the economy can never be sort of although the future of the economy can't be predicted even by economists um as much as probably their experts they're not always going to be 100 right and we shouldn't always sort of take it as fact that's why i always try and learn both sides of the argument as much as possible um because i just think yeah. I just, it's important and to be honest right and as, even though i'm someone who is very much into politics politics will make will make you depressed on so many different occasions there's nothing <laughs> All of them. That was that is happy. That um, feels that politics makes them happy, right? Because it will ultimately depress you, and you've got to sometimes go. Well, listen, the situation may be rubbish, but one, it's better than other situations around the world, and two, it's not the be all and end all sometimes, right? And that's that's sort of the opinion that I've gone with for the you know past. That's why I was never sort of oh my god, the world's going to end if we leave the EU, or oh my god, the world's going to end if we stay in the EU. Um, I just don't see the point in being so extreme or on one side or the other. Um, but I, I do want to sort of move the conversation on, um, particularly on property prices, right? Because you sort of mentioned, um, or you've mentioned several times about how property prices are, are still increasing, which is good to see, etc. Um, but uh, because, well, obviously, in terms of the market, it means that the market's doing well and whatever. Yeah. But surely. I mean, or what you're seeing more and more is property prices becoming so ridiculously expensive that no one can afford them. Wouldn't, mm. or what would happen if property prices, if property prices decrease um, and come to maybe a, a better level for people to be able to afford? Would that, is that a really bad thing? Or can that be a good thing still? Because why do it depends how it's done when it's only and what causes it. So down here, there's huge amounts of development going on. Um, because there is deemed to be, and studies have shown, there's undersupply, so that's driving development. But then what's causing that undersupply? Is it smaller families and breakups of families needing more property to live in, or is it costs of property? I don't know, um, being a mere surveyor. So, I mean, I'm sitting here looking at my house thinking, I hope that doesn't go down, but actually if I want to move on, um, property prices reducing, even if my house reduced, it would mean the difference between the houses would change. But if that's caused by an economic crash, so people are losing their homes, then most people haven't got money to buy a house. So the house prices are reflected by a reflection of the economy and, and availability of housing. I don't know. It's quite Again, it's a complex area because there are so many issues. It's like the help to buy scheme. Now, does the help to buy scheme help people to buy property or does it just push up property values? And I think most people are seeing that it pushes up property values and the same with the stamp duty holiday. That's causing property values to increase. You know, people are saying, well, we'll save 10 or 15%, which could be, you know, on an average house in Southeast England, that's probably 50,000 pounds. And if that's, stamp duty holiday goes, then there might be a fall in the market. So people would save by waiting for that fall in the market, but you want to move now. So it's really complex. That's why I'm a mere surveyor and just look at properties. Fair enough, fair enough. I mean, yeah, uh, so there are so many issues. Yeah, no cost. And yeah, go on, sorry. Well, and you know, with homeless people, I don't know 
we don't see a lot of homeless down here. I don't know about the cities because I've not been in one for a long time. Um, but it's quite interesting that one of the benefits of the pandemic is that the councils have been forced to put a lot into hotels and hostels that were on the streets to keep them safe. Um, and actually that's probably a more cost effective way of managing the homeless and getting them into some sort of environment where they can move forward um, with their lives. So I don't know. I don't think there is an answer to the property market. We've got in the UK, I think we've got quite a different attitude to property um, stemming from the post-war period and the 80s where most people would like to be owning their own home. But if you look in on the continent, um, a lot more people rent on the continent than do over here. So, yeah, it's quite different. Yeah, it's, it's always interesting that um, because like, I mean, for example, when you when you look at things like financing a car in, in this country, everyone sort of wants to own their car and what have you. But if you go around the world, as far as what I've what I've heard and what I've read, is that owning your own car is very much a British slash American thing. Um, if you go in places in Europe, uh, you'll see a lot of people that apparently finance their car and it's, it's completely OK. Um, I, I always find that quite fascinating how, um, how, how we're so, we emphasise the idea of I can't wait to buy my first house, which fair enough, if you want to buy your first house, it's, it's an incredible achievement. But I think what it tends to happen, especially amongst young people, is we almost get told never rent, rent is awful, rent is bad, you shouldn't ever rent because you're paying someone else's mortgage. Well, I mean, if it gets you a place to live yeah. um, and it's, you know, okay, yeah, you don't own the place um, and so it's not ideal in that sense, but it's a place to live and, and you can afford it. You should still be proud of that. And I always, always frustrated with that. It's, and it also depends on your landlord because if your landlord is a small property owner who's got one or two properties and you can, I know a lot of people have rented and then ended up moving every, you know, every couple of years or so because the houses aren't there to rent. And I think, I don't think that level of uncertainty is good for um, family life. Um, and then, oh, was it, where was that going? It was going to, oh yeah, about long-term planning because what you do when you buy a property is you fix the value to you of that property at the point you buy it. So if you live there and retire there, that property to you is still only cost you what it what you paid for it originally and once you paid off your mortgage that mortgage stays hopefully interest rates stay low but that mortgage or the repayment level of that mortgage stays even over your lifetime whereas if you're renting your rent is index linked because so that will be going up every year um so if you buy it in your 30s you'll be paying an index linked element of your rent right through retirement whereas if you buy that property hopefully in retirement you're not paying that rent maybe that's my age and perspective no it's it's, it's did you not did that what was that was that not clear no was it's, it clear? it was clear it's just for me i'm you know i've got i've got a small brain so it's like uh some of it goes in some of it comes out. <laughs> it's always it's always interesting um like i said um to hear about this sort of stuff because this is the sort of stuff that people want, like young people want to know essentially young people want to know or want to be given financial advice or given a financial education 
I, 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 one of the things I always get frustrated about is how, you know, we spend so much time in school um, learning about this, that, and we'll learn about Pythagoras theorem and learn about Shakespeare and whatever, and they're important. But, you know, financial education just isn't there. Uh, you're not taught about... No, um, true. Like, what's that, sorry? I said, that's true. It's quite true. Well, you said, you when we were at school. I was like, I'm telling you. No, no. Um, no, because, that was I remember, uh, you know, I, I, I consider myself as someone that, you know, tries to learn as much as possible about the world. And, and I, 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 I'm not trying to say this in an arrogant way. I don't think I'm ahead of the curve at all. But um, I do try and sort of learn things in advance. I feel like I'm going to need um, things like tax codes. I remember when I came across tax codes, I think it was either a year ago or two years ago. And I was like, tax codes? What the hell is a tax code? And I was there looking up and I was thinking as if I don't know what a tax code is. This is so important to know and I have no idea what it was. And then I did an Instagram poll, right? So I don't know how familiar you are with Instagram, but you can have like, you have stories, yeah. similar to LinkedIn. You have stories and then you put, um, you can put a poll on there. So I did a poll on there and I typed yeah. in, how many people know what a tax code is? The result came to 77 or 75 to 77. I can't remember what it was exactly, but it was around 70% did not know what a tax code is. Bearing in mind, most of my friends in my age. And I was just thinking, yeah. surely that's something that we should be taught or we should all know about there'll be a youtube video on it oh yeah i know that yeah yeah, yeah. but it's it's just some like the fact that i never even heard the term tax code and it's not like i hadn't worked before i'd worked three different jobs but never heard the term tax code being used Agreed. ever okay it was no. it, just things like that and, and even things like um it's, it's interesting that, I, that we, we were talking about this topic now because the person that i'm getting on the podcast in about 30 minutes um uh she has a blog called grown-ups uh grown-ups club i think that's what it's called um and what she essentially does is, is she talks about different sort of topics different things that you should probably know as you become an adult or different things about investing and how you can start investing or about finance and, and things that you didn't learn in school so hopefully yeah. we're going to have a conversation about that th those sort of topics and and be able to go through some things that um well that that are quite important to know so from all that rambling that I've just done, my sort of question to you is, what what do you feel is something that either you wish you'd knew or you feel that young people should definitely know, should know at this point in time before becoming oh, an adult? Uh, I think it's about keeping your eyes open because it's interesting that you immediately said that we hadn't learned that at school and I hadn't learned things like that at school some of my friends did commerce as a gcse or o level as they were then mm. and uh, um they learned how to write a check and what a check was and how the banks worked as part of that unit um but there's also a fair responsibility on families i think that gets lost as to educate your children in life skills um pensions what a pension is um what I was going to say what a checkbook is, but none of us use checkbooks anymore. Um, maybe, I mean, now it's me probably looking to, to the kids to say, how do I get my Apple pay to work? Um, <laughs> and, you know, it's, everything is moving so quickly now, even I'm doing online banking, which is a major miracle. Um, but, yeah, I suppose it's, it's about parents providing some of that background life education and, and knowledge and, the school curriculum is so jam-packed now with, oh, with a load of 
detail. Well, tell me what you want to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's you know when your eight-year-old comes back and I can't I can't remember because I didn't do grammar, but it was something like a split adjunctive or some such nonsense. And you think, do you really? I want him to be able to read Jack and Jill or whatever. Not uh, this is a split adjunctive. <laughs> and that's a, too much. Yeah, quite. Um, you go into your office and start criticising some of the papers you're writing. Be like, Dad, you're putting in the wrong... <laughs> oh, no, he does that. He likes the pictures. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, so it's... I think there's a balance as to where that education comes from. And I know my son sits there and watches, you know, my other people playing video games. What's that all about? Um, oh, you don't understand, but... Ian. I do that as well. No! That was our generation. <sighs> that was like my... That, that started off probably when I was younger. That is in, uh, I say younger as if I'm 50, right? Um, that started off when I was like... Uh, I would say that started to come into play about seven, eight years ago. Proper big time. But you, you say that, Ian, right? And it's always interesting to speak to people that, that find it just weird. Why would you watch someone else play these games? These people that play these games are ridiculously successful. Are you no. aware? Yeah, yeah. No, there's there's a huge games thing in California or whatever, isn't it, with big prizes and all the rest of it. But I mean, I I avoid playing video games because I know I just get addicted and I'll be up all night playing something or other. When we first got a two eight six computer at home, there was I can't remember silly games, worms and penguins and things. Or and then it got into civilization one and i could play that till four in the morning so i just don't have any game stations in the house because i would just be on well, it all the time we need to get your playstation we need to get you no, GTA, no, no. play a bit of gta have you have you ever heard of gta yeah 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 we need yeah. to get you that no because I, I would be on it. i would get no work done particularly working for myself i'd be you know what i reckon on the, well on youtube I, I would be on the play on the playstation till four or five in the morning and then asleep that, that would do so, well. yeah that's why i don't have that but then to watch someone else playing minecraft is just bizarre so anyway maybe if you watched the this a branded bank barclays banks this is what a checkbook youtube video is i'm sure there's one on there somewhere um oh yeah rather I'm, I'm... than, than than watching the minecraft video then that's probably where that education should and would come from well, that's the thing. It's like you're seeing this uh, more and more people sort of learning more off YouTube. There's so many YouTube yeah. tutorials for everything. That there's, I know, it's amazing. There's, there's, no, there's no point going, spending, you know, the, it's the argument for some people that do certain courses um, at university. They just go, well, you could have just learned all that on YouTube. And, and it's true. It's all out there. You know, the, the, so much information yeah. is out there that you can, you know, get into a very good job just based on the skills you learn off YouTube. But it's, I've it's, yeah, but it's a bit like learning from the bloke down the pub, isn't it? It's that's the difference between going to university. You know, oh, yeah, lecturers yeah, yeah. have qualified, um, studied, whereas, you, and you know, unless you know that that particular YouTuber's got a background in whatever, um, you just as well go down the pub, have a conversation, and be a brain surgeon. Oh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah but, but that, we, we, we're being very specific there. Obviously, if you want to be a doctor, you can't just learn it off YouTube. But I'm, I'm talking, you know, a certain, not even um, a certain jobs, but just being able to develop certain skills in certain areas. Yeah. You can, it'll just help you go into something else. Like, you're seeing this a huge sort of, um, what's the word, demand for um, uh, anything to do with video. So, 
uh, ed uh, video editors, videographers, yeah. anything to do with videos, someone wants them. If you, if, if you know, I follow a lot of YouTubers, you know, Instagram people, etc. Et they all want these. Every every day there will be someone that wants uh, an editor. They want someone that can edit their videos or do something else for them. Something to do with video. If you know those skills, which you can you can learn all of them off YouTube, other YouTube videos. So, you know, you, you can save a load of money and you can live a great, you, you, you work from your laptop, go abroad and whatever and work yeah. there. And it's just, you're living the life. I, I find it fascinating how education yeah. is, 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 I think we're on, I mean, education has changed so much anyway. But I think we're on the verge, especially after the pandemic. I think when people sort of go, and this isn't to this university, but people sort of go, you know, I can, I can do this instead. I, I, they start valuing experience more than they value sitting down in a, mm. in a lecture theater and i think employers are going to start valuing that more as well i think it's it's horses for courses isn't it and if you you know that might be the best way to get into that industry but actually if you want a wider set of choices you can do both so get your education your formal education and do a youtube course on video editing or whatever and i think you know as you said universities are completely different experience to you you're leaving home for the first time you're meeting a whole group of new people from different backgrounds because most of us are brought up in you know our families are very similar you've gone to a similar school you're in a similar area whereas you go off to Reading or I went off to East London and then to Harper um, and you meet people from all over the country and those friendships last a lifetime and I think that's that's something that people will miss and even with student grant, you know, the student loan system and, and lack of grants over the last 20 or 30 years, with more and more people studying locally and staying at home, I think those people are missing out an awful lot of broadening their horizons, really. Well, so, that's why, you know, why you've I came come to down from, Yeah, well, you've come all the way down to, from Lancashire to some civilization, and um, you must have seen also. <laughs> Some, to some civilization well i mean it's it, it's all right it's nice it's decent yeah, yeah. i think i prefer um less people no i'm joking i uh, <laughs> the, more, the more people the better um although lancashire is is lancashire will always be home and I, I, the thing with, with the further up north you go and you know i want to ask you this because i want to know how um yeah you know, i mean for, as someone who is a southerner so all the in the north we sort of believe that we're um a lot nicer than people in the south right in terms of like the interaction you have like on the streets or whatever or in a shop you can have more of more a conversation a bit more of a wholesome conversation as someone that's traveled up and down the country several times is that true or is that just sort of northerners being like just being a bit arrogant yeah i always say my son perfect in every way but he was born in yorkshire um, <laughs> well that's because he was, he, no, he was, he was born in yorkshire not lancashire so what can you do yeah yeah but i don't believe that's true at all um i think we've seen equal levels of i mean i've sat in a pub where someone's moaned about bloody southerners um when it was our village pub up there um i think i mean we were in a very um rural area um and it's known for being quite a closed area so but i wouldn't if someone walked into the pub that I was in that wasn't from the area, um, I wouldn't immediately moan, oh, there's these bloody northerners come down, because I think we're much, not more of a homogenous, but 
I think we're more used to are we more used to different people? I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just we stuck out because of our accents down there. Don't know. But it's I don't think it's any less friendly down here. I mean, you've got London, and I love London and have worked there and lived there. Um, and London's quite different to the rest of the southeast. Um, but no, if you walked into the pub in the village or any of the other villages about, you can usually strike up a conversation with someone. See, that's what I've, I've found as well. When, when I've been here, every time I talk to someone, it's just like it's just like a normal conversation in the north. I haven't noticed something where I've gone, oh yeah, people definitely are like this down here compared to up north. It just it always feels no. the same. That's why I always found the whole belief. Oh, but then you did mention there that it, you know London is completely different. Maybe that's why. Maybe sort of people assume because of how different London is, the rest of the south is like yeah. that as well. And I don't think it's all of London, but you know, a large element of london when you go for a drink it's either um a working environment but i think if you get out to effectively the london villages you know where people are living and working i think it's as easy to get into conversations there with people as it is anywhere else um you know i spent a couple of years in stratford before it was trendy and that was quite interesting <laughs> um yeah, no, I've lived all over and not really had noticed huge amounts of difference. There's differences in culture and differences in um, people's understanding of different people. And but I don't think people are necessarily friendlier up north or less friendly in the south or vice versa. Um, I think London's got a, a much bigger mix of people and a more transient population which is probably more telling than anything to do with culture Interesting. don't know how have you felt coming down to reading it's normal that's what i was saying i i, I, yeah. I see obviously again because of covid i've not been able to meet as many people but i just mm. i just as normal as it is in uh, in the north where i'm from and i'm, I'm from quite a, like a village slash town little area in lancashire um so like everyone pretty much knows each other um, yeah. there. And so it's like, but when I've come here, it's pretty much the same. It's just bigger. And we've got, there's more supermarkets here, I guess, in this town than there is we've just got <laughs> one in, in Hasland. No, in Lancashire. In Lancashire, there's loads. But in the in, the, in yeah. Hasland, in the town that I'm from, there's, there's one big Tesco and that's it. Um, yeah. What's here, there's loads. Um, but that that's mainly the only difference. In terms of people, I feel like, so, like anywhere some people will be nice and want to have a chat with you and other people just want to go about their day which is yeah exactly exactly no i haven't seen any difference it's quite interesting isn't it moving from a relatively small town or rural area into a city i went from sussex into east london just next to west ham um which was quite an education thoroughly enjoyed it spent many a night on the central line going off to the west end lord knows how we afforded it um, and then going up to Harper Adams, and it was like going into public school. It was quite bizarre. We, on the first day, um, I met up with an Irish guy. I'd literally landed off the boat the night before, driven all night, and got to Harper. <clears throat> we walked into the front door, didn't know anyone else. We're a bit early, and um, saw this 
canteen stroke coffee room, went in there and thought, oh, great, free coffee. That's really nice. And sat down and then realised we were in the, the staff common room. Well, at East <laughs> London, there wasn't a staff common room. <laughs> you know, you all just mucked in. So, yeah, no, it's quite the coffee. That, you know, that university has changed as have all, all the others. So when I was there, there was... I mean, you're a mega university at Reading now. I hate to think how many students, but at Harper Adams, there were six or 800 when I was there. And now there's three and a half thousand. Wow. Um, so yeah, that's been a six fold growth over that period. Um, but Reading has also changed immeasurably, but that's always been a campus um, university, hasn't it? So it's always been slightly out from the town. Did you know Reading started as the agricultural college for Oxford University? No, I didn't know that. Yeah, that was how it originally started, I think. And then it was a Malcolm of several um, local colleges. Oh, whoa, I didn't know that at all. That's quite interesting. Mm. I didn't know anything, that's actually. Why... I mean, maybe that's why there's... Because there's... You know what? What I really liked about Reading in particular, one of the reasons why I came was because I didn't want to make a huge jump from Haslingdon to somewhere in London uh, because I knew yeah. I'd just, that would just be awful straight away. It would just be too big of a difference. And the thing with Reading is, um, I've always said that the best thing about Reading is, is it's like a perfect mix of, you know, a busy city, but then a quiet town. It's like right in yeah. the middle. You've got everything you need. You've got, you know, the super, uh, the, the shopping centre, supermarkets, whatever you want is there. The food places, which is very important to me. Um, everything is there. But then you've also got the really nice greenery, loads of places to walk to. Um, and it's just... It, you know, it's just a nice place to look at when it's when it's a su- nice sunny day. Even the campus itself, it's a nice campus. I'm essentially doing advertisements for for University of Reading. So if someone at University of Reading is watching, I need the money. I'm student as well, so hit me up. Um, but yeah, it's that's that that's why I came, and, and I can't wait for the next two years because you know I, I know that I like the university. I know my course is pretty good. Um, it's just about COVID. Hopefully, doing one. So what sort of things are you studying in your course? You Is it um, current politics or are you looking at history of politics? Or So right now it's, um, so it's, a, it's, a, it's a joint honour. So on the history side, um, it's the, the most, my recent assignment was, um, it was we had to create our own question essentially. It was a 3,000 word assignment um, and we could do it on whatever we wanted. And I did, I did it on the Cold War. I prefer recent history over sort of Middle, uh, Middle Ages history or medieval history, sorry. Yeah. Um, so I did it on the Cold War because that's basically pretty much the most recent you can get. And I did it on the different causes of the Cold War, um, uh, on whether the Soviet Union should be entirely to blame. Um, and so the conclusion that I came was that the consensus is slowly and slowly becoming um, that it was actually America that are more to blame than the Soviet Union. Um, and that the trust between people, or the, uh, yeah, the trust between people uh, and American governments is becoming less and less over time. Because as, yeah. as we get further and further away from World War II, where America were essentially the saviors, um, as we get further and further away from that, we're um, no longer seeing America as saviors. And we are actually seeing the, at least the American administrations that are coming in and going out, they're sort, we're starting to see them as very untrustworthy. And some of the things that they're doing, especially in the Middle East, um, seems a bit dodgy. And then we're using that to then criticize what... Um, previous american administrations have done such as the cold war does that make sense okay yeah but what about politics the politics with the, with, um, with, the, with the political side it's because it's first year it's mainly sort of 
um, uh, like a, a sort of introduction phase. So this whole year has basically been looking at different sort of concepts and ideas in politics. So for example, okay. one of my favorite ones was about social justice and equality um, and whether we, we truly care about something like equality and whether it's actually possible or whether we just sort of pretend to care about it because we think it's sort of a good idea to have. Um, and, and that's been really interesting. But next year, my modules, I'm very excited for some of them. Um, one of them that I'm doing is, is politics and the media, uh, which um, what a part of that is I'm going to get I'm going to be able to learn, obviously, about the influence that the media has on politics, but also learn about how I can create my own sort of media material. So we're going to learn how to have like, uh, produce radio um, shows, um, use film and TV and, and that sort of thing, because I don't know, this podcast has sort of inspired me to go into that. So sort of, I'd love to go into something like TV and radio. I don't know. I just I just think it'd be quite quite fun and, and enjoy it um and then um the other one that uh for the history side as well uh, i'm going to be studying the arab spring so it's kind of a mix of um politics in there as well so i'm very excited um oh. i'm very optimistic yeah, about arab, the future. arab spring i find really fascinating on how it arose through social media mm. but how quickly it's been quashed in yeah. all of the countries now really um, and such a shame because it was, you know, you sort you sort thought it was going to be a, a liberation of of the Arab countries and the Middle East, and then it it almost got worse. Well, it's it's always interesting as and as, as someone as um, the area. What's that? Sorry, of, of my relatively shallow knowledge of the area, but it's yeah, it's um, I'd be interested to hear how you get on with that. Well, I mean, um, I. I know very little about the Arab Spring as well. I am aware of the whole, you know, it started off as this huge movement in Egypt and then all of a sudden uh, all these other countries were sort of having their own revolutions. But then very quickly what we saw was that these countries without these dictators actually ended up being worse because it leads to a power vacuum. And then what tends to happen is you end up having a, a military um, a coup coming in place and then they're even worse than sort of previous dictator. Um, and mm. I, 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 my sort of perspective on the Arab Spring has always been that it is an example of how Western ideas, as much as sort of I might value them, Western ideas like democracy, it is very possible that those ideas could never uh, be implemented in a country with such strong Islamic views. And this is coming as someone that's a Muslim as well. Um, those two things just don't correlate with each other. And it's not that Muslims can't live in a Western society. That's not what I'm saying. But in a country that has been so Islamic for so long, it is very hard to go all of a sudden, right, democracy, let's put it in. You, you, it has to be a slow process. And the Arab Spring sort of wanted it to be like that. And it just can't be yeah. like that. But is that... And I've got very little... I'm on really dangerous ground now. Um, because I know very little about... Um, Islam and, and Muslims, but is, is there not a difference there between um, Middle Eastern culture and the Muslim faith? And they're getting merged into one because aren't there countries that are Muslim, but, or well, you know, you're, you've been brought up in, in England as a Muslim and living in a demo democratic society and thriving so it's not that the muslim faith and democracy don't go together because yeah. there's any number of muslims over here that embrace 
both without a problem. Yeah, it's not that. It's, that that's, that's so, why, yeah. yeah, so it's it's culture that happens to have, have a Muslim faith because we don't really know what those cultures, well, we don't know what the culture was like over here before the Christian faith, but what those cultures were like before. And as with all, I'm fairly a-religious, but as with all religions, they pick out the bits of their teachings that they want, don't you? You know, if you look at America, you've got some of the severe right-wing groups will claim to be Christian, um, and they believe that they're Christian. And then, you know, you've got some really good works going on by Christian organisations throughout the world, and that that they all believe that they're Christian. I'm sure that's the same with the Muslim faith. Yeah, of course. It's that you know you've got people who use parts of that faith to justify things that we find abhorrent, and then you've got is it moderate? Is that the right word? I don't know. But you've got people who who are interpreting that faith in a, in a much more positive way so it's probably about the underlying culture isn't it rather than the faith itself yeah, yeah. so yeah that, that, that's what i was saying you've got me on religion and politics <laughs> we're avoiding all of that <laughs> we'll never avoid that I, I always say that i want to avoid them and i never do um and <laughs> that's what i was saying that it, it's not necessarily that islam or muslims can't um uh live in a western site or a value with western values Oh, sorry, a society with Western values. It's that these countries have um, adopted, like you said, you know, certain uh, values within Islam. Um, and because they've been there for so long, to then have something like the Arab Spring, which was like a, a sort of quick turnover or an attempted quick turnover of, of yeah. power and, and the way people wanted to live, it just wasn't. When, when, I, when I look about it, and hindsight is a, is a wonderful thing, when you look back at it now, it was actually never going to be successful. It was too quick of a turnover. Mm -hmm. It has to be over long periods of time, and that's why um, in in uh, it was last year I did an EPQ, which is like an extended project you do uh, whilst you're at sixth form or college. Mm -hmm. It's worth half an A level, and and you pick your own question. My question was on about the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia uh, and whether he's a true reformer looking to implement Western values in in the country. And what rather than kidnapping his daughter? Rather than kidnapping his daughter. I mean, Isn't that I, Saudi or is that no? That might be UAE actually. That's the UAE one. Yeah. Are you making generalised statements there, you? Uh, only vaguely about royal family, and I can insult our own royal family as much as anyone else's. So don't, oh, oh, don't so, think so, it's a racist thing. It's a it's a royalist thing. So, so you're a Remainer and you're anti-royalist. Typical <laughs> lefty, aren't you, Ian? <laughs> oh no, no, but I like Thatcher. Yeah. Yeah. That's fascinating. I wish we had more time because we could have talked about that because that's that's really interesting. That so I gotta go because I got another podcast in like 10 minutes. Um, but well, let's do round two at some stage. We'll definitely do round two at some stage. I need to write that down that you said you like Thatcher because, um, I've always wanted to speak to someone that I like. Well, I've spoken to people that I've liked Thatcher before. Um, I just I just find it quite interesting. She's not very popular in the north, um, uh, for no, different reasons, but it's it's about, um, I think her background i just trusted her more than the current um rank of mps and she genuinely i think cared about social mobility you were saying about equality um 
and I think that equality now gets hijacked by um, race, sex, sexual orientation, whereas actually there's a whole lot more in there about equality of opportunity for all rather than, I mean, I've sat in an interview and you look at me, um, middle-aged white man in a jacket, um, there's no way he can have suffered any prejudice, but I've sat in interviews that were going great and then you mention which school you go to and that's the end of the interview. Um, and that's not right either. So I think there's a lot more about equality of opportunity for all, no matter what creed, colour, religion or sex. Um, and that's, you know, that's where I think um, there's been quite a change over the last 10 or 15 years on um, that lack of opportunity for all. Yeah, no, that's I, a sober I, point. I know, yeah. That's a, that's, a, that's a pretty good point to end on. But I do want to ask you one final question. And it is similar to a question that I asked cool. earlier. Um, what sort of what advice would you give to your 20-year-old self? If you could go back. If you could go back 10 years, what advice would you give to your 20-year-old self? If I go back 10 years, what advice would I give my 20-year-old 20, 20 self? Um, I think I was doing right at 20. I had found the direction um, and was working towards it. So I was quite happy with that. Um, I think the advice I'd give to my 17-year-old self would be to buckle down and get on my A-levels. Fair enough. You hear yeah. you first, do your exams, kids, do your exams. That's what Ian yeah. Skinner says. Anyway, Ian, yeah. uh, it's been... It's been a real pleasure. I've really enjoyed it. And you, it. Tarek. It's good to see you're doing well. Yeah, you, I mean, you too. I'm glad to hear that the COVID hasn't sort of um, uh, had a huge impact on, on what, what you've been doing um, and on your business as well. Um, but yeah, no, it's been, it's been real good to catch up, catch up. I think it's been like, what, two years or so? Um, but it feels like it it's not be. been at the same time. Just the way we've, we've had a chat over the last hour or so. Um, yeah. Which is, which is always great to see. But yeah, it was really nice um, chatting to you, Ian. Um, and I do appreciate the time. Hopefully this will be up in the, over the next month or so. Um, but I'll, I'll let you know and I'll obviously tag you on LinkedIn. And if you can share it on your socials, uh, that would be great as well. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, thank you very much, Ian. Uh, have a great day and uh, enjoy the rest of your week. Thank you, Tarek. Speak All soon. Right. All right, speak. Bye. Bye. And that is it for this week's episode of The Me, Myself and Hopefully You podcast. I hope you enjoyed this more informal uh, sort of episode where me and Ian just have a bit of a catch up. We've not spoken for uh, nearly two years now, um, but it was great to have a chat with Ian about property, about real estate, uh, about Brexit um, and about just anything and everything, really. Um, I hope you did enjoy this sort of format of the podcast. I do want to do episodes like this as well, where they're a lot more laid back, less interview style, but still a bit of an interview um, and just have a chat with someone uh, about whatever we can think of. And and that's what I wanted to do with Ian. And I, I know I've got, I know a few people that uh, are thinking about going into real estate or they are doing real estate or something to do with real estate. Um, I hope uh, those those of you out there who are in those categories, uh, you found this episode useful. Um, but 
Um, if you did enjoy this episode, then please do leave a review on Google Podcasts, follow us on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts and share us on your social medias, tagging at MMHY Podcast on Instagram. Uh, other than that, thank you so much for listening. Have a great week. Until next time.